You're listening to Reframed. Reframed acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we met to create this podcast, the Darug and Eora Nations. We give our respect to all Darug and Eora Nations elders past, present and emerging. My name is Fatima Alumi. African gangs running riot, terrorising, robbing, wreaking havoc. We've all seen the news reports, heard the stories. I want a I had the gun up my head, the gun up my throat, the gun up my back. Four teenagers alleged to be members of an African gang. Some of these young people are behaving like street gangs. Charged with being part of what police have called African gangs, carrying out snatch and run robberies. political debate around African-Australian gangs. The violence unleashed on communities. Police denied African gangs even existed. But did it ever occur to you that there were some crucial voices left out of the story? Even the way they said it, African gangs running riot, terrorising, robbing, wreaking havoc. This person is a threat to society. It's intrusive. It feels as though you're being watched and judged and that you're, that you're dangerous for some reason. These are the voices of African Australians who feel that they've been left out of the conversation. In this podcast, I'll be exploring these silenced experiences people crossing the road if they do see you because they get afraid of you. But I was like, maybe they might come to me and just rip off my scarf or like push me in. I got a bit nervous. I remember just like wanting to get out of it as soon as possible. People were shifting their bag from one arm to the other arm when I'd walk past. White people terrorise me every day. They've terrorised my people. All of the media stuff, that, like when it was sort of in its height a couple of years ago, none of the people that I came across were even like thought that those, those reports were remotely accurate. And I think that's alarming. But African Australians have found their own voice to hit back at the negative media stereotypes. I say, were slaves taken from Africa or were people taken from Africa and turned into slaves? breath and gather them all. I piece your picture back together. I won't let myself forget you. When I refer to African Australians, I'm talking about a diverse group made up of many different cultures and countries originating from Africa. Despite this diversity, I'll be grouping them together when referring to how they're racialized in Australia as a community. But before we dive into the main issue, let's put it all into context. African immigration to Australia has particularly increased since the 90s. According to the 2016 census, African Australians make up about 1.6% of the country. Media coverage of this minority has been scarce, unless it's been negative. This, this story, there was a video actually. Oh my god, I was actually going to bring up <laughs> this, but it's okay. This is Bethlehem McConan. She's a 22-year-old University of Technology Sydney student who's also of Ethiopian descent. You've, You've seen what? it then? Um, honestly, I hear about it all the time, except for African gangs, particularly in Melbourne, they like to say Sudanese gangs, you know, and um, I don't know if I should be proud that they know an African country or if I should just oh, be... Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm meeting up with Bethlehem on campus. You may hear her laughter in response to the news reports I'm showing her, but behind that laughter is a lot of anger and pain. She's nervous to speak at first, but it isn't long before the desire to voice her opinion about the media reports takes over. The terminology you use is really important because you're literally labelling people or things and it really does affect the way people navigate the world. Bethlehem says that racism is a frequent struggle she must deal with. The fearful language about African Australians has had a direct impact on her day to day. We're walking past a homeless man who was white and we were gonna give him some change or like try and talk to him and things like that and be nice. He gave us the ugliest stare ever and we just, we, 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 we were so baffled. It just shows you how crazy the world could be and it just really hurts because it's not the first time it's happened and you're like wow do I continue to even try to be nice to people or do I just stop trying at all? But it's not just her racial identity that is targeted. Bethlehem is also Muslim and a woman. According to her, these three identities are connected and can't be separated. A lot of the time I am othered due to the fact that I have multiple identities, not just one. My blackness does come first. You know, what they see is like, oh, she's black, and then they're like, oh yeah, she's Muslim, that head, that thing she's wearing on her head. It's at this point when Bethlehem points to the green headscarf draped around her head. Bethlehem is also the president and founder of the UTS African Society. I attended one of their events, a Zimbabwean night welcoming students to come and learn about the country's culture and rich history. Zimbabwe is a South African country with an estimated population of about 16.5 million people. Bethlehem feels that the misconceptions about African diaspora in Australia are partly due to the ignorance surrounding African countries. Through our events, people have been able to get together, meet other Africans on campus, learn more, learn more about our culture and the fact that it is is so diverse and multifaceted it's not just Africa there's 54 countries let's let's get to know a bit about them you know despite being a self-proclaimed introvert Bethlehem seems to thrive at these events that celebrate different African cultures um, I will be able to talk about um, we're discussing cultural preparation and the difference between cultural appreciation so if you guys want to input what you guys as more and more people arrive the vibe is cheery and fun and it's not just African diaspora who have come along. There are people from a diverse range of backgrounds eager to come and learn about Zimbabwe. Which tribe was the native people of Zimbabwe? Bethlehem and the rest of the society are dedicated to changing perceptions about Africa on campus. In terms of the misconceptions they have about Africa, it is really disheartening because I see Africa as home. You know, I see completely opposite to what people say. They say it's just famine. I'm like, no, there's so much food. It's got the best food. I don't know what you're talking about. The African Society is not only a place where UTS students can learn about the diversity of the continent. 
It's also a safe haven for other minorities of African descent. I thought, you know, give us a space to come together, socialise and also sort of create those connections where you feel comfortable, you know, a space that you actually can say, hey, I'm not othered, you know, there are people that look like me. Despite the growth of the African society since it was formed at the start of 2019, Bethlehem still doesn't quite feel like she belongs. I don't feel as if I am Australian. Like, yeah, my passport is Australian. I grew up here. The family that I do know is here in Australia. But there's a difference between being labelled as something and actually being something. Bethlehem feels that the negative perceptions of African Australians has also impacted children in her community. It makes me really worried. I have a 10-year-old nephew and he's going to become a black man in this society and he's, he's already questioning a lot of things now. He's asking me why people are afraid of him. He's just a kid and it's like, it's really hurtful, you know what I mean? I need to get a better understanding on how the stories of gangs impact public views of African-Australian men. So I decide to chat to 26-year-old Gavin Adnan Weber. His background is part South African and part Turkish. They, they always fight. Gavin has invited me into his home in Beaumont Hills. Before we settle in for a chat, he offers me a cup of tea and we sit out in his back garden in the sunshine. His cat and dog run about chasing one another as Gavin attempts to separate them. Yeah, yeah. Once, <laughs> once a day my cat and dog have a fight. While we talk, he seems relaxed and friendly, leaning back in his chair, even lighting a cigarette. I'll sit over here, not to get smoke in your face. That's <laughs> all right. Like Bethlehem, Gavin has had his fair share of confrontations with the public due to his race. One particular incident that stands out for him was when he was playing soccer as a teenager. I tackled this guy and the ball's gone out and as we get, we're both getting up off the ground, he said, like, get off me, you black cunt, and then pushed me in, in the back. And as he pushed me, I, I grabbed his arm because I heard what he said, I grabbed his arm and sort of flung him over my shoulder and I got red carded and got sent off and I tried to explain to the ref what was said and he wasn't having a bar of it. Gavin took the case to the soccer club tribunal and explained what had happened. They didn't believe that that's what happened. Not only that, but my two-week suspension for like violent conduct was upgraded and then I was out for four weeks. It was a, like a tangible moment of speaking up and getting shut down and then reprimanded for speaking up. So, yeah, it hurt a lot. But this was no isolated incident for Gavin. He's encountered racism in the workplace as well. One of my colleagues had a difficult moment with an African-Australian teen, you know, just like normal customer service woes. Afterwards, you know, walks back to me and says, I swear the blacker they are, the worse they are. Gavin's emotional response to this kind of reaction is overwhelming. My jaw just drops and this heat overcomes me and I can feel my eyes starting to water. I don't know if it was anger or sadness, compassion for him 
Andy's ignorance or if it was that I was just so abruptly hit with this racism that that I, I couldn't control my emotion. For Gavin, control over his identity is crucial and he does this through poetry. I am human. I am hurting and that's okay. My potential has no limit for there are books to be read and there are books yet to be written. It took three years for Gavin to pluck up the courage to perform his poetry on stage in front of a large group of people. Right now performing in front of me, he is at ease. Each step, however small, is in the right direction. Have no doubt in yourself, for your mother's love and your father's stories have embedded in you a sincere conviction. In front of a bigger audience, he feels a thrill. I won't let myself forget you. Foolishly. I sat up and searched my skin for the remnants of your presence. That's him performing one of his pieces at a Bankstown Poetry Slam event under his pseudonym Granny. When I think of identity, that's what I think about. It's how I move in this world. And I have complete control over that. And there's not many things you have control over. If being perceived a certain way is something that you care about, which I do, then naturally that's, that's my sense of identity. And that's how I feel comfortable. Demonstrations against the South African government's strict apartheid policies flare into shocking violence. At Sharpsville, an industrial township, thousands gather outside a police station in protest against new laws requiring every African to carry a pass at all times. The crowd refused to disperse. But Gavin recognises the luxury of self-expression, particularly in light of his father's lived experiences of the South African apartheid. One of my drivers for wanting to express myself is because of the stories that I heard from my dad in South Africa and not being able to express himself in a way that he wanted to. Having your identity stifled is problematic, I think. It's everything to me. And so when I speak about a specific topic, it's always through that lens of I'm expressing myself in spite of what has happened in in the past throughout my family's history. But Gavin isn't the only one seizing the opportunity to represent their identity in a public forum. (laughs) 22-year-old Somali-Australian student Miski Omar has always harboured a passion for performing on stage. But it wasn't until 2018 that Miski joined the University of Sydney Arts Review and she's enjoyed unleashing her creativity on the stage in 11 productions since. This is Miski's final arts review of the year and she's making the most of it by letting her bold and comedic side shine. I sit down with her in one of the rehearsal studios at the University of Sydney, and it isn't long before she has me in stitches. Yo, 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 they wanna know, Miski O, chillin' with Fatma O. There's no doubt that Miski is a charismatic young woman. She's comfortable in her own skin and expresses herself to strangers such as myself with ease. So you're in like a cast with 18 other people who are just as dramatic as you, and 
you get to like play games and explore ideas and just be out there working with people on scripts and skits and like meshing your two humors together and then coming up with this beautiful like skit at the end it's so rewarding it's just so thrilling miski has taken me into her world of theater productions we sit in on a rehearsal as miski recollects warm memories of running lines and skits in this very studio yeah we usually rehearse here and it's got like a beautiful long mirror and it's got like kind of the timber floors so it gives you that very studio vibe whenever we'd rehearse here especially towards the end when we do like the dance numbers it was like really incredible because it just kind of feels like it's like it's an actual show the University of Sydney Arts Review hasn't always been so diverse. In fact, Miski's entrance onto the stage as the only black Muslim woman has actually encouraged more people of colour to step into the spotlight in the last year. Arts Review has been very white, for lack of a better term, for a long time. It was never Miski's intention to join the university theatre scene. It was actually her friend Kevin who urged her to join Arts Review, a traditionally white-dominated space. Because he is um, Chinese-Australian and he was in Arts Review before and he's like, they're funny and it's good. He's like, but it's like, there's no people of colour in the cast. And he's like, I'm going to be in the show and I'd love for you to be in the show because I think there's so much humour and other things that could be explored that are not being explored in Arts Review that I think me and you can bring to the plate. In 2018, Miski and Kevin were the only people of colour in the show. But one year later, up to 50% of the cast are from non-white backgrounds. And it's added new perspectives into the mix. Like, I was playing the Somali song, they were just, like, so fascinated. I was sitting there like... Despite this, there are still some people from Miski's former private school in Auburn who are disapproving of her presence on the stage. Just because I'm not prescribing to what they would have expected my trajectory in life to be which is like go to uni and um, hang around my friends get married the fact that I'm I guess putting myself out there a lot of people have thought that I've kind of like lost who I was or one person I think mentioned it's actually a kid from my old school said Miski's um become white but she hasn't let these opinions stop her from pursuing hobbies she enjoys. It's really unfair that there's this belief that it's only white people who can do that and I guess we can't. Miski has fond memories of rehearsing for Arts Review. But starting out as the only black woman on the cast has made for some interesting situations. Finding that a lot of your sketches do turn towards just like black jokes and ebonics and rapping and a certain type of character is quite interesting. It's just something I've noticed where I've been kind of a bit nudged towards a certain direction. But Miski doesn't associate her experience with the African-American experience of the transatlantic slave trade. My parents had come from Somalia, they left in the 80s and came to Australia in the 90s. But a lot of people who are African-American, all they know is the fact that their history that they can count back 400 years ago is being basically subjugated in America. Despite this, Miski says there are a lot of Australians that tend to forget this distinction. I've heard stories from other friends who are like, be like uh, do you think maybe you could be like, hey girl, go to be like, hey girl, what's up? What, how's it, and, and, you're, and the person's like, I'm literally born and raised in Blakehurst. I, I don't even know how to say, hey girl. 
When I chat to Miski, she is all smiles and it's clear that she doesn't shy away from the spotlight. This is in spite of negative attention that she often receives due to her race and religion. And it usually happens in public places. Overt racism would be like at the station where someone would be like, oh, go back to where you came for, you, you effing towel head or whatever. Or like someone would like look at me in like the toilet, like and be like, oh, like, yeah, your people coming to this country do that. But like that's stuff that I just walk away from. For the most part, Miski says she's able to handle the blatant racism that's thrown her way. But it's when she steps into whiter and more conservative neighbourhoods that a genuine fear grows. We went to um, Himes Beach and we stopped by a McDonald's and I was a bit taken back so I was like, whoa, like they were really white. Like not just like white, but like really like white and like a lot of them were just looking at me. There might be someone here who has had no experience with Muslims or a black person and only is informed by what they're hearing from the media and genuinely might look at me and be like, this person is a threat to society. It was the first time I had that thought. It was very interesting. I was like, maybe they might come to me and just rip off my scarf or like push me. And I remember just like wanting to get out of there as soon as possible. And like a lot of the other African Australians I spoke to, Miski's sense of belonging to this country and her Australian identity has been put into question, despite where she considers home. I was at a job interview and this lady was like, oh, when did you get here? And I looked at my watch and I was like, two hours ago? <laughs> oh my God. Two hours ago? And then like, everyone started laughing and I was like, <laughs> like, what does she want me to be like, oh yeah, like, Auburn Hospital, I was born and I, the first breath that I breathed was Australian air. Creativity is common in this diverse community, but there are some who are taking visibility to the next level. Meet the women behind the Afro Sisters. They're a group of women who have come together to create their own production company for a web series. Afro Sisters will focus on themes and issues that reflect the African-Australian woman's experience. It's a show like no other, and something we haven't quite seen before on mainstream Australian television. I caught up with producer Mumbi Hinga and writer and actor More Blessing Mature. We want to try and clear some misconceptions about us and you know how we get grouped as people with the act in the same way and you know sometimes people look at you based on your skin colour or hear you and they already form an opinion. That's Mumbi speaking. She comes across as cheery and friendly and combined with More Blessing's wit and sass, the two are quite the dynamic pair. More Blessing has high hopes for the series. We'll end racism probably by like episode three. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Their creativity flows through and the passion emanating from them both is crystal clear. You don't always have to wait for someone to create that platform for you. You can actually do it. We did believe that we had the power to do it. And, you know, that's why Afro Sisters came to be. Mumbi believes there is a lot more room for improvement on how black women are portrayed in the media. I know I've seen a lot about uh, gangs and refugees in Africa who need donation, but in terms of African women, generally there is nothing that's shown and it's actually not there. So let's bring something to be seen. The purpose of Afro Sisters is to try something different. It's the truth. It's what our lives are like. And 
not everyone is the same and your experiences are our experiences you know we go through relationships crises in our lives we have fun just like everyone else so we actually want to bring a story that does not exist Maria Makeba No the series is scheduled to hit the screen sometime in 2020, but in the meantime, there are a couple of bite-sized teasers introducing the four main characters. Maria Makeba. Nah. <laughs> What? Hi. Hello. Good morning. I wanted to say confident, hardworking. You know, like they can count on me. Hi. Are you? You know you are a very beautiful girl. Thank you, Auntie. More blessing feels that it's important for them to use their platform to differentiate between the experiences of African Australians and African Americans. Our history in this particular continent isn't transatlantic slave trade. It's migration. It's asylum seeking. There's a different narrative there, and we want to add that to the dialogue. A key part of the African Australian experience for Mumbi and More Blessing has been not being seen as Australian at all. In Australia, people get surprised to see a black person dishing out an Australian passport. And I, I think doing our own narrative is also a way of, you know, belonging to Australia. We're in Australia and we want to be seen as Australians even if we look or sound different. I think we're all Margot Robbie's and Liam Hemsworth. Yeah. Just like 25 million or <laughs> something. Oh, and also like a sprinkling of like crocodile dung deep, you know, but that's it. <laughs> So what role does the media play in national belonging and racist attitudes? Chris Masiku is a University of Queensland academic who runs an on-campus support group helping African international students deal with negative attitudes directed towards them. He seems like the right person to pose the question to. When we were referring and talking about blackness or Africanness or African Australianness, there is already a strong well-established racial framework in which people of a certain skin tone are expected to act within the media in some way are just basically mirroring and exacerbating something that is deeply entrenched Christmas Eve you doesn't think the media coverage has changed public attitudes you can't draw a strong direct causal link but what you can draw is that once again it brings to the foreground negative fearful racial concepts about black men from africa or men of darker skin tone from africa but not everyone shares christmas eke's views on the media's impact CEO of African Media Australia Clyde Sharadi has a different perspective. Because people in Australia don't always have the opportunity to meet Africans, they get all their information about Africans in mainstream media. They tend to be affected by that negativity. And Clyde Sharadi says this impacts all areas of an African Australian's life. When Africans are viewed in a negative connotations, it means that opportunities whether in employment, education, housing or 
or many other fields uh, will be limited because some people either consciously or unconsciously may develop some sort of bias. One of the interesting parts of chatting to the African-Australian community is discovering the differences in perspectives. 25-year-old Ishmael Saboni was born in Sierra Leone and grew up in Sydney. When I chat to Ishmael, it's clear that unlike some of the other people I spoke to, he hasn't experienced much racism. And when he does receive the occasional negativity, it doesn't faze him. I'm dressing like, especially during winter, like homeless, wearing like baggy clothes and anytime I'm like, you know, walking in the streets, people are very wary. They might be, you know, giving you a bit more room to walk past. They might be, you know, clenching onto their purses a bit more. I don't really care, you know what I mean? While he's most comfortable in Australia, Ishmael has never harboured the desire to belong anywhere. So it doesn't bother me at all. You know, people are people at the end of the day, you know what I mean? There's racial stigmas towards every race. Despite this, Bethlehem feels that belonging is a daily struggle for most people of colour in Australia. But isn't Australia a multicultural country? Bethlehem would say otherwise. Australia is not a multicultural society. We don't have discussions about race or culture. There's this whole facade that it's amazing, everyone's cohesive. That's not true. You know, that's that's false advertising. Like, that is not true. So what is the solution? We need to be able to have these open discussions, like if we don't have the discussions that are necessary, such as race or culture, I don't know how they expect everyone to be able to come together and become Australian. Because in reality, what does it mean to be Australian? This is Fatima Alumi reporting for Reframed. Thank you to Epidemic Sound for providing the music for this podcast and to Afro Sisters composers Vulin Lela Makonanzi and Truvai Banatiom. <laughs>